This morning, I want to share a bit about our story, but more importantly, his story in us and through us, and that is about persevering in the journey with Jesus, persevering with Jesus. You've heard the Marines' motto, it says, Sember Fi, which is always faithful, but the pioneering missionaries' motto is Sember Gumby, always flexible, okay, always flexible. (laughs) This could have worked out really good at camp, you know? You just gotta tell those campers and the counselors, Semper Gumby folks, always flexible. Uh, The Apostle Paul lived by the Semper Gumby motto. He had a vision of a man from Macedonia, but when he went there, it turned out that it was a woman, Lydia, the seller of purple cloth. He was shipwrecked and had to press on. He had prison uh, things with some friends, Silas and him in prison. He was in a very difficult situation throughout many seasons of his life. He had a situation when his best buddy Barney bailed on him. You know, this was a a season of difficulty, yet he pressed on in his mission to see new churches planted where Jesus was not known. Paul wrote down the keys to having a persevering, enduring church and life. And those keys are found in the letter to the church at Philippi. We know it as Philippians. And the cool thing is he's not just talking theory, he's not just blowing some smoke and some good ideas, but he was living out and had gone through and was currently going through persecutions and trials, and so is the church in Philippi. This book, Philippians, in the Bible is like the first missionary newsletter. He was writing to them to encourage them. He was writing to them to tell them, this is where I am, and this, these are the struggles I'm going through, and this is what you can do to press on, to live out and finish strong the Christian life amidst challenging circumstances and culture. So let's dive right in to Philippians this morning. Philippians 4, if you will. Philippians 4, verse 2. I plead with you, Euodia, I plead with you, Syntyche, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my coworkers whose names are in the book of life. Here, right off the bat, verses two and three, we see Paul is encouraging the church there to protect the unity, to protect the unity amongst them. He actually says, I'm pleading, I am begging with you to come to an agreement, you women, you and Syntyche. Now, it seems like it's not some major issue. They're not gonna be thrown out of the church, but there's some little something that is splitting these ladies apart. Maybe it was that they were squabbling over who's gonna lead the ladies' small group ministry. I don't know. But we know that sometimes small things can become big things. And especially in the church, especially in relationship. Reminds me of a time when we were doing some marriage counseling before I went overseas, 10 years I pastored, and reminds me of a time we were sitting at a kitchen table, hashing some things out, talking about the kids, talking about finances, and then the guy kind of mustered up some courage and said, well, I'm really embarrassed to say this, but really what grinds my gears is my wife uses too much toilet paper and I'm afraid that the septic's gonna explode, and she won't listen to me. She just keeps on going for it, and I'm... Are you kidding me? We we were called out for this. 
Uh, but it was, it was something that really got in the way, clogged up the relationship there. And um, <laughs> my friends, that is when something small got way too big. But it happens in relationships and the churches. And Paul is calling on the church that if the two of you can't work it out together, Yodi and Syntyche, then some others come alongside. And he says, you help these women. Let's get this thing taken care of. Let's deal with this to resolve and restore these little things. Dear friends at Radiant, I am begging you to protect the unity in this church by dealing with the small offenses. Don't wait. If you think someone has an issue with you or there's something a little foggy out there in a relationship, take them out for coffee. Engage with somebody. Get a friend if you need. Bring them in. But forge ahead in forgiveness. That's what Paul is talking about here. That's what can make a church go the distance when people protect the unity and forge ahead in forgiveness. I served at a church, as I mentioned, for 10 years before going overseas. It has a miraculous story of unity. It was at a church called Pioneer Christian Fellowship in Western New York, and it was growing in the 70s and 80s. There was a lot of neat things happening, and a big church in that neck of the woods, rural dairy community. And inevitably, when things grow, sometimes things grow and that's good, and sometimes things grow and that's bad. And there were some squabbles amongst the leadership. Some people saw this happening, other people saw that happening, and they couldn't come to agreement. And because of that, some of the leaders split away from Pioneer Christian Fellowship and started a church called Church of the Lamb down in Denny's Basement. And they wanted a pastor. So they called up the local Bible school and said, hey, we're a small church, Church of the Lamb, and we're looking for a pastor. So this guy, Jeff, came from Bible school and started pastoring them down in the basement. But Jeff really had a heart for peace, and not just peacekeeping, but peacemaking. And so over some times, Jeff developed a relationship with Gene, the pastor here at Pioneer Christian Fellowship. They would go out for... Cokes or coffees and just started building a relationship. And what was amazing is that over four years, it wasn't an overnight thing, but over four years, Pastor Jeff and Pastor Gene worked through some hurts, misgivings, offensives between those two churches. And Pastor Jeff brought back into the fold Church of the Lamb into and under Pioneer Christian Fellowship. And the cool thing is, is after Gene moved on several years later, he has been at that church pastoring for 35 years. That's what Paul is talking about here, finding a way forward in unity. Isn't that amazing? Churches don't have to split and stay split. Because of that unity, the church has preserved and endured. A lot of people were naysayers. Oh, you're never going to make it. This church is going to fail. Don't believe it. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy. Let's move from the shadows to transparency, striving for oneness as individuals, as married couples, and as this church. If we're going to endure, we must listen to the pleadings of Paul to protect the unity. And how is that? By resolving and restoring even the small things. Let's read a little bit more this morning in Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. He says in verse four, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Always be full of joy in the Lord. And I say it again, rejoice. 
Paul encourages us to pursue joy. A scholar says this about this verse. It's as as if having said rejoice, there flashed into his mind a picture of all that was to come. He himself, Paul, was lying in prison with almost certain death awaiting him. The Philippians were setting out on the Christian way and dark and dangers and persecutions inevitably lay ahead for them. So Paul says, I know, I thought of everything that can possibly happen and still I say it, rejoice. Christian joy is independent of all things on earth because it has its source in the continual presence of Christ. My family here at Radiant this morning, we must choose to rejoice over and over and over and over again. Rejoice over despondency, self-focus, depression, the trials and tribulations we are walking through. We must choose joy. It's not optional. Here in the original language, Paul is talking about rejoicing as an imperative. It's something that must be done. And he says to do it 16 times in this puny little letter, four chapters, 16 times, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. And Paul did. He was writing from a situation that was challenging. He was in a lockdown type of deal in Rome. He was in house arrest. And he discovered that a joy in Jesus is the key to bringing him through. The focus is not on him, but Jesus. You know, folks, I hate to admit it, but I get that wrong. Sometimes I'm going through a hard time and in the car and I'm trying to find that power song and I'm not finding it, trying to find the K-Love or the right worship song, that power song that's going to bring me through. Or, you know, I'm just trying to find my happy place. You know, maybe it's down by the beach. Maybe it's out at the state park. I don't know. And I can't find it. Why? Because I'm doing it on my terms and I'm trying to find my happy place. Paul is saying, find joy, find joy in him. That's where you're going to find resiliency. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Not the joy of the jam or the joy of that happy place, but the joy of the Lord is our strength. I had to find that out in a real personal way. January 11th, 2014, a big fire came through the town that we, we live in, where my office building was situated. And this huge fire came through, built up 300 buildings over the course of several hours through the night. And burnt to a crisp was my beautiful office. The only picture that one of my sons drew for me, I had it framed on the wall, gone, two computers, poof. All the paperwork for my business, the registration, all the tax information, all the stuff to keep it going, gone. My bike that I, my therapist, my bike, gone. I felt dead when I saw that destruction. I felt empty. I questioned the goodness of God. I felt like, in some ways, the elastic of my faith had snapped. I labored so hard. God, we moved our whole family, we're over here. Started focusing on me, my loss my pity party. I got into a, hate to admit it, I got into an old habit of listening to dark music to meet my dark mood. And that didn't help at all. Just further drove me into my depression. I was way beyond what I thought I could handle. 
way beyond my comfort, my capacity, my competencies. Like Bilbo Baggins in The Lord of the Rings, he said it like this, I feel thin, sort of stretched, like butter scraped over too much bread. And that was me. My soul felt thin. My body energy felt thin. I felt stretched. And I'm here to tell you this morning that your little Gumby, in some way, shape, or form, is going to be stretched in every way in the days to come. And when we're at a loose end, we need to remember Paul's admonishments to choose joy over the circumstances that we are going through. God's word reminds us to rejoice, not to be happy, which is tied to our circumstances, but joy that comes from the presence of God. Pursue joy actively. For me, that was waking up in the morning and saying, I arise today in the strength of Christ. I arise today in God's joy. I didn't feel it. But I told my heart the truth, and I waited for God, and he came. I've come to find out that we can move from sorrow to joy when we plant ourselves in the presence of God. And prayer is a great doorway to that presence. Paul says it like this in Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul encourages us here this morning that when we're going through trials and testings, to persevere in prayer, that in everything, that in anything that you're going through, the finances, the job, the challenging future, the relationship, the bullying, the school that's on the horizon that you're nervous about. He's saying, bring that to God. It's like this. We're to bring our burdens to God and leave them there. But you know, so many times we just, we, we pray about it and we don't leave it there. We just carry it around as our baggage all day long. And we wonder why we're not experiencing fullness. It's because we're not trusting God enough with our issues to just leave them there and say, God, that's yours. I'm going to let you deal with it. Anxiety, fear, and worry, they're occupational hazards in this life. We are going to have them. But the follower of Christ is not to be overcome by them. Paul admonishes us to not be anxious. You can say it another way. There was a season that we were going through just recently where we were going through some challenges on the inside and the out, and we wanted to take a season of fasting and so I said, you know, I'll, I'll fast my phone, I'll fast media, I'll fast lunch. And I talked to Autumn and she said, well, I'm going to fast fear. I said, wow, that's why I married you. That's amazing. That's what Paul is talking about here, to fast fear and focus on prayer, fasting fear. Anna Hampton in her book, Facing Danger, says it like this. The Bible repeatedly teaches us not to fear. But how am I not to fear when I feel fear? Very often the don't fear phrases in the Bible are verbs, which mean don't turn into wax, don't remain passively in fear. When I didn't let my fears overwhelm me, when I didn't ignore 
deny or repress my fear, but entered into it, experienced it fully, and allowed my fears to drive me to God, I won the battle for that minute. When I kept going and doing this, I was able to continually work through my fears. It didn't mean I didn't do risk mitigation and planning, but I wasn't constantly worried about the future. I could actually live in the moment. And doing this repeatedly led through emotional and spiritual resiliency. There are no shortcuts in the lived out experience walking with God. You might have come into church this morning saying, I can't handle this anymore. Or maybe it was this last week. I can't deal with this anymore. The reality is, and the good news for us this morning, is that God can handle it. Pray wherever you are. If you don't know where to start, tell God what you're thankful for. Just begin there. If you don't have the words, it's okay. Sit still. Listen. Some of the greatest prayers for me have been when I was on the road, pulled the car over, was quiet, and just alone with me and God in the car, and I didn't say a thing. You can do that. Paul sets up a model for us here in Philippians 4, 6. He says, refuse to worry, fear not. Release in prayer. Don't hold on to those troubles and trials. Release them and relax in peace, a peace that goes beyond under our understanding. That formula sounds like a cinch, huh? Nope, not at all. I've not arrived. I'm on a journey. I'm struggling through this even as we speak. In a few months, I'll be going back overseas, 15,000 miles away from my three best pals, my sons, when they are going through a very challenging season of life, and I want to be there for them. I'm anxious about that, but I'm refusing to worry, and I'm releasing that in prayer and trusting God's peace to come. The question this morning is, am I walking in fear, which produces anxiety, or trusting in faith that produces peace? What's the result of presenting our stuff before God? The reality is that the peace of God will guard our hearts and our minds. That's powerful. And this word guard in the original language means it's as if a sentinel is there, actively, vigilantly, ready to disarm and destroy anything that comes attacking. That's powerful, huh? Who wants God as a sentinel standing guard over their hearts, their souls, their inner core? Wow, God sentineling my heart and my mind in his protective custody. That's good news. That's God's word to us this morning. Let's continue with Paul's thoughts on how to finish strong, how to persevere. He says in verse eight, finally, my brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, admirable, if anything excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the peace of God will be with you. Paul says in the verses to be careful with your thought life. Or, as I would say, ponder in purity, to ponder in purity. 
We need to ask ourselves, where is our internal narrative centered? Where is that train going? Is it towards the truth of God or the lies of the enemy? Folks, we are in a culture that has a daily avalanche of all kinds of voices, mostly negative, mostly destructive, mostly voices to get us off the path of peace with God. Our adversary wants to derail us and deform us with these voices. He starts with our thoughts. Paul knew this, that it started with our thoughts. He wrote in Romans chapter 8, verse 6, the mind governed by the flesh equals death but the mind governed by the spirit gives life and peace. I'm sure that he knew that because he had personally encountered that in his own life. In fact, he even took it a step further in the book of Corinthians, he writes, to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. You know, that is not just a passive thing, but that is an active wrestling. That's a grudge match with those thoughts that are just confounding us and confusing us to bring that before God and saying, God, I can't handle these thoughts, these emotions that are overwhelming me. I bring it to you. Would you deal with it? Would you take it away and make it yours? That's a fight to the death, the death of self. You know, if I let my thought life just roam with current events of the day or the season, I would be dead meat. I wouldn't be here today. If I listened to most people, family members, and at times voices in my own head, I would not be in the mission field as I am today. Here's what some of them said when we were planning to go to our remote village and start our work. We were super excited. We're going to bring the three young lads, seven, four, and two, up into Yakville, and it's going to be great up in the mountains, and we're going to make an impact here. And as we left from the capital city, people were saying, you shouldn't go there. You can't live there. The government's going to kick you out. The police will be all over you. You'll never be effective. I was like, well, what are you doing here? What's, what's going on? I'm so glad I didn't listen to those voices, but rather the voice of God, because we've been there living in Yakville for 12 years with the favor of the government, the favor of the police, and the favor of village elders. But you see, if I would have listened to those other folks, I would have never even stepped foot on that ground. So glad I didn't. Even family members at times don't say the best things. On the night before we were going to get on a plane to go overseas, it was Thanksgiving and time of merriment, saying goodbyes, and an uncle came over and pulled us aside, and I said, ooh, yeah, here we go. We're going to get a nice gift, maybe a big pile of cash or something. I don't know how is it going to work. You know, I don't know. Um, but he pulled us aside, and he said, Autumn and Andy, don't do this. You're going to destroy your kids, and they're going to hate you for it. Okay, well, uh, the ticket's bought. Uh, I don't know what to do here. Where do I go with this? Um, It was a little frustrating. But it was the lies of the enemy trying to be sowed in our head that night before departure, sowing fears, sowing doubts and anxiety. Well, the reality is our kids like us. Well, at least they say they do. They like Yakville, and they have loved the experience of adventuring with God on what he's called us to do overseas. 
If I would have listened to them or been overcome, like, hey, you know what? You got something there. This is pretty scary. They might not like us. It is pretty hard living overseas. Yeah, let's just cancel that ticket. I can't imagine what our life would look like. But I'm so glad we listened to the voice of the Lord in that tough decision. And I'm encouraging you to make a courageous decision today to cut off if you need to, to power off. Yeah, you've got, got my life. To power off. Power off to turn off the negative voices, the thoughts, the negative meditations, and inner dialogues that are going around in your heart and mind. Check to see if they are true, noble, right, and pure. And I promise you, God's word says it, that God's peace will be with you. God's peace will be with you. That's what we need in these troubling days. Paul's encouragement to press on and persevere is summed up in a secret, and it's found in the end of this portion here in verses 10 through 13. He says it like this. I rejoice greatly in the Lord. They see, there it is again. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. You see, Paul learned a secret. Paul is urging his church friends here to practice it. The secret is revealed here. I've learned whatever state I'm in, I can find contentment in Christ. That's about pressing into the presence of Jesus pressing in to Jesus. That's where true contentment is found. The final focus of this portion is, and Paul sums it up, you can throw anything at me, prison, shipwrecks, relationships that go sour, all kinds of things. And my center of contentment is not all those things. My center of contentment is Christ. Whether my tank is empty or full, there's food on the table in abundance or there's not so much, I am going to be okay. I have Christ. One translation says it like this, I can do all things through him who infuses strength into me. You see, it's not about us, but it's about God giving us strength. A missionary said it like this, Lord, enable me to be an overcomer. It's about moving from self-focus and self-sufficiency to Christ's efficiency. That's the whole fo- focus of this passage. Whether we're working out a relational issue, we're wringing our hands in anxiety and troubles and trials, we have worrying thoughts in our head, Paul says it like this. It's not about pulling up your bootstraps and finding strength in yourself. It's about finding strength and contentment in God in the power of the Holy Spirit. The crazy thing is the context where this letter is written from. It's house arrest. The guy wasn't in some lap of luxury. He was going through trials himself. And I am guessing that he was in a state of lack, that he was isolated, and that he was lonely. But he said, the secret is, I can't make it, but I know who can. So let's connect to the source this morning. 
Pray with somebody if you need to after the conclusion of this service. We are going to finish strong, Radiant Church. We will be overcomers. We will be overcomers as followers of Christ when we protect the unity, we pursue joy, we persist in prayer, we ponder in purity. All these things can happen when we continue to daily press into the presence of Jesus. The reality is, I just said it, we don't have the resources, we don't have the ability sometimes to do what it takes to persevere. God never said we did, but he said, I do, come to me, so let's find strength in him this morning. God, we come to you and and we say, we, we admit that we don't have what it takes, we admit that we're lacking in so many areas, we admit that we need you, And we're so thankful that you can come and you can restore things and you can make things right and you can encourage and infuse into us strength when we don't have an ounce left. And so I ask that for my Radiant family this morning, that you would pour out your strength, that you would pour out your presence wherever they find themselves, whatever situation that they find themselves in, that you would meet them where they are at and that you would not meet them there and just stay there, but take them on a journey to where you want them to go and that they would be willing to say, yes, Lord, I will follow you to that place of contentment. In Jesus' name, amen.